0: The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Ashes podcast, where we'll be taking a deep breath and trying to work out how on earth we're going to fill the minutes, the hours, the days before the second test. We've already had enough to fill a series. A frantic finish, DRS controversy, number 11s batting like number 3s, number 3s batting like number 11s to walk or not to walk, Jimmy elevated to the British sporting stratosphere, the shock of Ian Bell making runs under pressure, and a handsome and dashing young man called Ashton rocketing to stardom and ensuring that Demi Moore will have front row seats at Lords for the latest instalment of the Agar Saga. It wasn't the greatest test match of all time, but my God, it felt like it. So to discuss, to ruminate, to simply sit open-mouthed with incredulity, I'm joined by uh, Daniel Harris, Guardian writer and very much on The Guardian's over-by-over coverage yesterday. Nice easy job there. S.B. Tang, Australian journalist and uh, writer for Crick Info, amongst others. And indeed, Punchbag for the next 45 minutes or so. And Emma John, the deputy editor of The Observer magazine, who got so excited on Sunday afternoon that she did a Twitter scream, uh, which uh, was there for all to enjoy. Uh, Emma, you for First of all, um, where do you start? In fact, one of the interesting things about this test match was how little people were able to say about it in its aftermath. It, w- it was extraordinary. Players standing open mouth, really.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, obviously, everybody immediately wants to compare it with Edgfiston 2005. And that's a, it's a valid comparison. But I, I do think this was a different one, simply because I was so confident from very early on in that test England were going to win it. I don't know if maybe that's just post-Murray fever that I've decided to sit back and believe in my team. Um, But it was I'll tell you what it was it was only when James Anderson sort of half limped off the field that was the first time yesterday when I thought we're in trouble here it was like um it was like you know fighter command coming in and telling you that Douglas Bader had been shot down in enemy territory you just thought oh dear um where do we look to now and I think that's the thing for me that I felt much more positive throughout this test as an England fan than I probably did during the Edgbaston one
0: and what about you Daniel did you believe did you keep the faith there were plenty of us losing the faith just about I don't know 10 minutes before lunch when Stuart Broad started taking his shoes
2: off for no reason the thing about yesterday and, and what Emma was saying is that the mentality of being an England cricket fan has changed quite significantly in the last half generation because we grew up in the 80s and the 90s watching England get spanked here there and everywhere losing home series to New Zealand and now we support a team who's good so even when they don't play that well they find a way to win but yesterday, I must say, I was uh, screwing on the over-by-over over as I was kind of typing with uh, shaking fingers. And there was that, there was that over when, um, it was first of all when, um, when Hadding got off Finn, but then also when, um, when Patterson played that incredible shot off Swan when he came down the pitch and clouted him over mid-wicket, where suddenly the score jumped very quickly and you thought, this is not sorted at all. And uh, I was quite surprised winning the one in the end. And SB uh, I mean, you know, Emma's touched on it already, but I remember in 81, going back to that,
0: Kim Hughes came out and said, listen, if you swapped both them." we'd have won the series, which is a perfectly valid thing to say. Is that going to be the same with Jimmy Anderson in this series? If you put Jimmy Anderson in the Aussie team and threw Mitchell Stark into the England team, would, would the result have been different? It would, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, I think that, that's absolutely fair enough, Dave. Um, because if you look at it, like Jimmy Anderson took 10 wickets and you look at the rest of the England bowling attack, even Swan on that pitch designed for him only took two in our final innings. Um, and Finn throughout the entire match served up a, a lovely combination of um, long hops and half ollies. Um, good point um, Dan raised about that, that turning point um, just, just just on the last day. Um, and I think the person who hasn't, hasn't received credit for that is Alastair Cook because what he, what he did was he, he brought the field in when we got the target down to 30 after 102nd over. Now, in the preceding six overs... Haddon and Pattinson had plundered forty seven runs at a run rate of seven point eight three, but Cook brought the field in at that stage. We scored just fifteen off the next nine overs at a run rate of one point six seven Now this was something Vaughan didn't do nearly soon enough at Edgbaston in two thousand and five, and really he ought to have paid for that, and we ought to have won um, but for as we know, you know the umpiring blunder again in Edgbiston in o five with Castro which is hand being off the handle and all that stuff but um de- I definitely think Captain Cook hasn't received credit um for, for, for being very tactically astute there and flexible
0: yeah I mean there's also a question isn't there Emma of nerves when you get close to a target I mean the, it's, it's easier to play free when you need 80 to win and you've got one wicket left than it is when you suddenly think you can win uh getting over the line is always the hardest thing
1: definitely although I would say that I saw the nerves more affecting the England bowlers, actually I think swan I think Swan looked um well as we saw he bowled a bit long and and it was really interesting after all those close ups all those zoom ins of the pitch you know it was like watching the Mars rover land, they kept showing us the cracks and the rough, and they 'd set it up as you know this is this is going to be graham swan's you know greatest triumph, and actually I remember when anderson did uh, limp off and, uh, and Swan had the ball. I was thinking, oh, this is such a shame because Swan's going to get the last wicket and Anderson's not going to get his ten for And uh, yeah, you can bet that after I'd watched Swan bowl in a couple of overs, I was screaming at the telly for just anybody to take that wicket. I completely didn't care if Anderson didn't get his ten for anymore.
2: The Australians have actually always played Swan quite well. But um, I think what, uh, to go back to talking about the pitch, it's also probably worth saying that it was a really good test match wicket where only one bloke gets 100, another bloke gets 98. You don't want um, four or five batsmen to be getting tons. It's the two guys who batted the best on the track got tons or close to tons, and that's what you get. You get a brilliant test match like that. Even if it was a little bit slow, there was something in it for everyone, really. And So uh, well done, the groundsman, uh, who is no doubt listening.
0: Yeah, well, going back to Graham Swan, though... Um and his response to pressure uh, both SB and Emma have already mentioned it. It, it it's worth highlighting because the fact that England won the match has covered over some cracks not necessarily as big as the ones that were in that pitch but it, but Swan's performance under pressure was not good was it everything was expected of him on a on a dry pitch as it will be throughout the rest of the series and he needs to start
2: stepping up he bowled well in patches but not as well on the final day as he should have um, no I mean I think he could have been more accurate I think that the pitch was in a, sense, in a sense a misnomer it wasn't gripping and turning as much as it looked like it was going to so I suppose in that circumstance you would want him to bowl a little bit drier and he didn't but in general he's not massively in England's debt he's someone we know is good and we know in the main is reliable so the problem is more what to do with Finn and in a way what to do with Broad who I, I worry about Broad because when you see and it doesn't just apply to cricket but when you see cricket sportsmen in any kind of walk of sport who can suddenly turn it on and do something incredible then they don't do it again and then it looks like it's not coming and then out of nowhere they do it again you wonder if they actually know quite what it is that gives them that incredible rhythm that suddenly makes them do things that t- t- turn games so
1: you don't think it's anything to do with the with the injury and the you know the physicality of it that's that's holding him back or been holding him back
2: it's hard to say and I wouldn't like to say well it's definitely not but we've watched Broad play cricket now over quite a long period of time and he's not been injured or carrying an injury for all of it and he's only been devastating on fairly few occasions and unlike someone like Anderson who even when it's not all going for him like it did um, in, over the last week, he's not, he doesn't look threatening and sometimes if he's trying to bowl a bit too quick or why don't you always bowl that slightly fuller line that we hear said over and over again and I'm not quite sure what it is.
1: I'm, I'm not worried about him being devastating, I have to say, I, I, I like it when he's playing a strangling role um, at one end, um, and, and I, I think, I believe in him, I think he can still do that this series.
0: What's the Australian view? of Stuart Broad, we should move on to controversy we're not going to spend 45 minutes talking about the spirit of cricket, I do want to come back to you about Swan as well in a second, Danny, because I think you were very kind on him uh, there, because you talk about not necessarily turning, but you've got to give it a chance to turn, he was bowling, as Emma said, you know, bowling too long, bowling full tosses as well, which, which obviously can't turn but what's the Australian view of, of Stuart Broad I, I don't know about you, but I'm rapidly forget cricket, coming to the impression he's sort of 25 going on 12 and, and he is, <laughs> to coin
3: a phrase, a bit of a tit well, to be fair to Broad, I thought he was clearly your second best bowler in this match after Jimmy Anderson. Um, but I think generally speaking, there's no doubt that he's a bit of a human mystery because, um, <laughs> the general pattern with Broad's career is say bowl pretty averagely for three or four tests. Then in that fourth or fifth test, bowl win a test match. That, that makes him impossible to drop. But at the same time, that means there's also always a constant clamour for him to be dropped. Um, and an impression that he's not a particularly good bowler despite being a proven match winner. That two thousand and nine Ashes, like Stuart Broad was rubbish for three tests, then literally just won England the Ashes in the last test. And I think that that sums up his his career and his nature as a bowler. Can
1: yeah. I just say we don't give we don't give bowlers the same grace we give batsmen? Cook can have a run of three, four, five innings where he where he looks rubbish. We don't we don't. Well, we might talk about dropping him, but we don't actually really consider it. But
0: isn't there more of a depth of bowlers that could potentially play? Isn't that the reason for that? I mean, beyond the batters who are playing, Compton, Taylor, potentially Bapara. Even there isn't a great deal. Whereas bowling wise, you've got Tremlett and you've got Onions and you've got Bresnan. You I mean, say sure.
1: all these names to me. I I'm not I'm I'm not convinced by them. Um, uh, as long-term, you know, re- repeated bowling successes. Now, mm-hmm. I am going to say I'm I'm all in favour of onions, especially for Lords, because I sat behind his mum and dad in that what was it, uh, 2009 on debut. Um, I was up in the upper Edrich, and his his mum was sitting about two rows in front of me. And I, you know, I've got a very spos- soft spot for onions. I'd happily see him come in for Finn right now, but Stuart Broad's such a competitor. I would not. i'm not saying
2: necessarily drop broad i'm saying that he i find him he's he's a concern and what we saw in this test was because finn didn't perform because swan didn't perform it became a problem whereas these occasional bursts of insane strike bowling are fine when the other three guys are bowling really well yeah he's your kind of go-to man but to have that you need to have the solidity don't you uh,
0: around it and briefly about broad because we as i said we could have a debate about this forever and ever and ever but should he have
3: walked Tespie? i don't have any problem with broad not walking there's nothing wrong with a batsman simply standing there and accepting an umpire's decision. Um, and I prefer not to talk too much about Broad's non-walk because that would detract from the real substantive issues raised by Broad's thick edge, ICC umpiring standards, and the ICC's implementation, um, of the decision review system. I mean, to all the non-cricket sermonizers out there condemning Broad like he's some kind of, you know, morally decrepit monster, um, look, test cricket is not everyday life. In everyday life, if some personal authority made a blatantly incorrect decision, which affects your personal livelihood, generally speaking, there will be some lawful means by which you could get that rectified. A test batsman enjoys no such luxury. The rules not only require him to accept an umpire's blatantly incorrect decision to give him out, but actively encourage the fielding side to beseech the umpire to give him out when they're not sure that that he is out. Because Law 27 provides, neither umpire shall give a batsman out, even though he may be out under the laws, unless appealed to by a fielder. I mean, the laws don't actively encourage the fielding side, sorry to correct you, to beseech the umpire. I mean,
0: we saw Pattinson pulled up for appealing twice, very, very strongly in this test match, for example. So that is being, is being looked at. Um, but uh, so you don't you you think he was okay to stand there? Do you? I, I you don't
3: think, think it was a wider issue about the spirit of cricket or anything like that? No, I, I think he was okay to stand there. But but on, on that point about the laws, I mean, by saying that the batsman can't be given out unless a fielder appeals, what I'm saying is that the laws clearly encourage you to appeal for a wicket, even when you are in no way certain that you know that that, that it's out. You're just sort of having a guess.
2: I would almost take the opposite view in the sense that you say it's not like real life where you have redress to me it's sport so it's not it's also it's not that important Mm -hmm. so I don't mind what broad does if he'd have walked I would have said fine that's very good you're doing that to satisfy your own personal morality you're not doing it because of some wider morality you're doing it because it makes you feel good and in the same way you chose not to, and similarly you're doing that because it makes you feel good and that's what people are entitled to do. So uh, I think it's almost a non-issue. But it's interesting that it's about how you feel, isn't it? it shouldn't you be doing it because of the wider good?
1: You, this is amazing. I have not thought this deeply philosophically about this. I, I had two thoughts. One of which was, if Haddon knew he had nicked it behind at the end of the match, would he have walked? No, and don't. He probably did as well. I and mean, He probably did. We, I heard that nick from North London, you know. No, that, that that is how loud it was in my ear um, and then secondly you know just it was the Aussies let's remember who, who began this in the 80s with Alan Border. you know he's the one who said umpiring decisions even themselves out over time so he's not going to give an inch well that's been the context the historical context of contests for 20 years that's good enough for me.
0: I mean one thing Chapel always said in, in, in terms of consistency was uh, if you're not going to walk then you can never complain about an umpire's decision and he always was, um, said he was very, very consistent in terms of that. Just, just finally on this, though, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised to have three people in the studio, none of whom thinks that he should have walked. I, I, re- I mean, because there was a general feeling. Perhaps it was 50-50, 60-40, 50, either way, I don't know. But it, it, do you think you're representative, do you think everyone thought he was right to stand there? I mean, I personally... I
1: think, I, I, think, I, I think, think. look at the cricketers, that none of, none of the Australian team complained about that. I think people who are really steeped in, in, in this stuff, and perhaps, again, maybe younger people who did grow up watching England get battered, <laughs> maybe that's part of what it is. But um, another thing that really reconfirmed that I was right was that Richard Dawkins told me I was wrong and that he was a revolting chief.
2: Okay. See, I, 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 I think, and Piers Morgan as well. Yeah. But you see, I, I, don't, I don't think it's about, I don't think it's a particular moral issue. I mean, what the wider issue is, at the end of the Test match, we're saying, well, one of the reasons England won is because Alistair Cook used the review system better than Michael Clarke. That's it's really uncomfortable with my morality of what sport should be about. And I think the problem with DRS is one of the reasons we have it is because the umpires would be shown on TV making a mistake and there'd sort of be mistake after mistake and That would be a problem. But to me, I don't really have a problem with umpires, referees in any sport getting decisions wrong. People get things wrong and you have to be good enough to win beyond what the official happens to do. And if they got rid of DRS, I wouldn't be that bothered. I mean, I'm not about opinions here. Of course, I'm just uh, I'm just the,
0: the presenter of this thing. But I just felt it was sad that you were almost being described as naive for thinking that he should walk by ex-professional cricketers. I think that was the issue that bothered me the most, the idea that somehow, I'll oh, grow up. I mean, you know, it's almost what they were in the Sky coverage was being said, uh, grow up, international cricketers, don't walk. To which I would reply straight away, well, Johnny Besto walked uh, and probably was slaughtered for it in the dressing room I don't know but he definitely walked in that first innings anyway Boycott's reaction was magnificent
2: he go, is it the glee you've got no reviews left lad Yes. Said.
3: well I think the Australian attitude is you know you, you just respect each individual batsman's right to choose you know yeah. Chris was well respected for, for being a walker Steve and Ian Chapel are well respected for being non-walkers well, anyway,
0: talking of each individual batsman, let's move on to talk about uh, some of the things that happened on the field. Um, I mentioned slightly sardonically, Emma, in uh, my opener there about Ian Bell making runs under pressure, but... I mean, that was, a, that was the match-winning knock, wasn't it? And if Anderson hadn't taken 10 wickets in the manner he did, Bell was, apart from the man we'll talk about in a second, the, the youngster, but Bell was the, the, clearly
1: the man of the match. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I'm absolutely thrilled for him. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody doesn't get a warm feeling when we see Ian Bell make runs, partly because he is arguably still the stroke-maker of that team and it's very pleasant to watch him. Um, also because he seems like such a nice chap, really.
2: The thing about Bell, and the thing that really struck me particularly about this innings, was uh, I, a long time ago, and I can't remember who he was batting against, Sashin Tendalkard decided that he was getting out court quite a lot hitting into the V, so he didn't. And I thought, that's remarkable to have the self-discipline to plan in innings and refrain from hitting the ball in an area where you score quite a lot of runs. Yes, that
3: was, that was a double hundred he got against us uh, at the SCG, I think, where oh, the wagon, well where, where the wagon, wheel showed he didn't play a single cover drive. So well, astonishing
2: Bell discipline. Did, Bell did pretty much the same thing, and to put yourself. Especially for someone who sort of makes sort of flighty 30s. And we all had that moment where he reviewed the decision and it was just, I was in the office and we we're just sitting there thinking, well, we said about five minutes earlier, Bell's just got to 30, he'll be out in a minute. And then he was out in a minute and then he wasn't out in a minute. But uh, deny yourself that kind of shot when you're someone who is known more for being flighty, for being the flighty aesthete than for being the sticker is uh, is exceptional, and uh,
1: hey, that's interesting. You say that you think he do you think he didn't uh, go for those uh, drives because of worrying about getting out, or do you think it was uh, just because the pitch wasn't wasn't it was so had got sort of so slow by that stage?
2: Um, I think I think he obviously decided not to, not to play those shots, and those shots were getting played. I mean, hadn't played a few down the ground yesterday, and he's a slightly different player to Bell. Is more likely to play over the top, and uh, Bell's more of a touch player. But to not play, I think, I don't think he played in his, I I saw the wagon wheel for his 50 this morning, and so he didn't play a single shot there. Whatever whatever the reason, he must have done that deliberately. A lot
1: paddled back to third man, weren't there?
2: I mean, that's what made it such a wonderful test match, that you could look at, DRS
0: as a reason, use of reviews, as you rightly say, Daniel, as a reason, the taking of the new ball as a reason as well. But there were so many subtleties and swings and roundabouts, which is exactly why we love the sport. I am going to
1: use this test just like I used the whole of the Ashes series. When when people say to me, oh, a five-day game, how can that be interesting? That must be boring. I'm going to say, I'm going to force you to sit down and watch this test match. What what did
0: you make of the start of the test match, though? Because um, I sent quite a mealy mouth tweet. Uh, I thought at one point because it was all happening too quickly and it felt like uh, it felt like a a, a one day game and I was in my head describing it to myself as the pot noodle ashes it was everything was so instant and, and unsatisfying um it caused then it turned into a proper test match but did you have any of you have the same fear as me early on that too much was happening it's not a test cricket you know you, you have to go through the longers yeah. to justify the excitement don't you
1: yeah i i guess so although didn't this happen um again i know we keep harking back to 2005 but isn't isn't didn't this happen in 2005 as well at, at uh at lords yes it went a bit crazy then and then it went a bit down. crazy but and yeah, isn't isn't that just just part partly kind of i've always put that down to kind of this is a massive series and you know crazy things happen on that first day
3: there were nerves all around on that first day i think it's fair to say um
0: from
2: both sides but, yeah, but it, it was a relief was a down it, it was a relief that it calmed down and went you know went to the final day wasn't it oh definitely i mean the first day was a bit disappointing not that there was those wickets but the bowling wasn't really good enough to justify the number of wickets that fell. And when you watch sport, you want to, you want to see a high standard. Like if you watch a game of football, you don't want it to finish 7-6. Because if it, if it does, it means that the defending's been so miserable that the goals are worth a lot less. But it was, as, as I say, as you were saying, Emma, it's not just also about this is you should watch this and love Test cricket. It's one of those things that makes you realise that Test cricket is one of the best things that humans have invented in however many thousands or millions of years we've inhabited the miserable planet and behaved miserably. We have at least got test cricket to show for all that time. I mentioned
0: the phrase paper in the cracks a little bit earlier. Changes? For uh, for Lords, what do you think, first of all, Daniel, about changes for, for Lords from an England perspective? I'll ask SB about one fairly obvious Australian change uh, at number three maybe in a minute, but should Finn play, do you think?
2: I would. I would give him another go, I think. Really, on his home ground? Um, Partly the home ground, partly that we know he's good. He's a young player, and the way that young players get better is by playing. And I think that Finn could be a world-beater. He's not someone who, someone like Bapara, say, who they invested a lot of time in, so they must know that he has a lot of talent. But he never really showed it apart from that West Indies series, whereas Finn has shown at Test Cricket that he has talent. I also think at Lords we can expect Graham Swan to bowl better, which will then release the pressure on Finn slightly, and dropping someone one test into an Ashes, someone who we know to be that good, just because they had a bad game, and in particular, an appalling, disgusting day yesterday. It would be... I, 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 I wouldn't do that.
1: It's funny that you say an appalling, disgusting day yesterday, because he did have a disgusting day yesterday, but there was, a, there was a pretty terrible day before that as well. So it's not just a ca- case of one day. I mean, I am actually, like Daniel, I'm always in favour of stability, I think, especially at, at this stage of a, an Ashes series. As I've said, soft spot, for, soft spot for onions. But I just don't think I'd feel as confident in a team with either um, Onions or or Bresnan, actually, on, on, on the team sheet right now. I think Finn needs a chance to redeem himself, especially when you looked at the fielding yesterday. There was a point when, I think, uh, that moment, it actually wasn't the catch. It wasn't the dropped catch in the deep. It was the moment when he didn't see the ball. <laughs> and he looked like a man, kind of... I don't know. Tr- attempting some kind of salsa shimmy out there—it was really. We
2: need to be on TV for this, for you, people to yeah, see you all you can't, the You box. can't
1: see the beautiful dance move I'm pulling off, but. But that moment, and then I think that the cameras just caught it. He, this baleful looking, looking back at, at the team in the middle, and kind of opening his arms and shrugging his shoulders, like, "What do you want me to do?" And that was the moment when I thought, "Oh, oh, you're sort of done." Um, but no, I think I think that makes it actually all the more important for him to gi- be given a chance to redeem himself.
0: And actually, in a way, the, the biggest howler from a fielding point of view, the one that's been completely forgotten, was Bearstow's failure to hit another set of stumps. Uh, for a clear run-out. That was, that was a, a, an easier fielding skill than Finn having to sprint uh, 20 yards and hold a catch
3: yeah. at full length, and as, best- as Sespi says, for a man of his size. Mm. And the Bearstow one, um, given that he's one of the best fielders um, that England have, you, you know, it was a big miss. It, it, it didn't go anywhere close to the stump, so I was really surprised. I mean, when I saw it was best, I thought, it's going to be close, he's at, at least going to going to you know get closer to stumps but um but no it, it missed by a mile and, and just going
0: back to team news as it were so for you emma finn plays for you daniel finn plays yeah for sure do you think he will play uh yes i do and emma do you think he will play
1: i think he will yeah i think this england team um over the last well however many years it is now what's that eight years we have uh shown that we are very keen to stick by our team and no,
0: no other issues as far as we're concerned in terms of selection, no other cracks papered over, Root the right decision, Root, Root opening, Bairstow's fine as well, as he? I
1: cannot wait to see Root back again. Mm-hmm. I, I I, just think, you know, the the, the poor lad was due a, a couple of bad scores and I can't wait to see him back against, well, back against Agar, ideally.
0: <laughs> and SB, who would Australia prefer to play, do you think? Would they like Finn in the England team at Lord's?
3: Haddon would, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think the, the answer is yes, that they would like Finn because he was the bowler they scored um, most easily off. And you could see like Haddon clearly uh, deliberately targeted him um, when like on that last day. And, and if you recall, like, with that record 10th wicket partnership um, between uh, Agar and Hughes, they, they scored very freely off, off Finn as well. Um, and he, he just, I mean, look, in his defence, that, 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 that slow, low pitch completely nullified his strengths, which are pace and bounds. Um, but, but that being said, he, he just, he, he didn't look right. He just didn't bowl very well. I mean, you, you, you can't serve up um, half volleys, a combination of half volleys and long hops to test batsmen, um, even in Australian number 11, as we've seen.
0: Now, I want to move on to the Australian number 11, because this, you know, the, the game in the end was the story. But if Australia had won then it would have always been remembered, as Vic Marks said uh, in the Observer yesterday, as Agar's uh, test match, um, unquestionably. When was the first time you'd heard of him, Espina? You're, you're a very well-read Australian cricket journalist. Can you remember?
3: Because I think the first time I'd heard of him was about a week and a half ago. Uh, no, like, the, like the, there's been a, a lot of hype about him in about the, last, sorry, about the last six months or so. He's bowling, he's batting, he's fielding. So much so that I think after like two or three first-class matches, we, we took him on the tour to India a couple of months ago. Um, And and I think that's when the hype really started to build because there were even rumours during the Tour of India that he was going to make a a shock test debut there. So it it wasn't a huge shock, I think, to to Australian cricket followers that Agar was picked. I think the surprising thing is that more that Nathan Lyon was dropped, which is pretty harsh when you consider Lyon took nine wickets in his last test and has 12 first-class wickets at 25 apiece since landing in the British Isles this summer. Yeah,
0: I mean, although the perception of Lyon from those close to it said that he wasn't bowling particularly well I know a few people said in the warm-up games they weren't that impressed by him and I mean it was a brave call
1: in all those lovely replays of him just just before coming up to his hundred and then not getting his hundred it's very it was very noticeable he was smiling even in the nervous 90s and then he smiled when he got out I I my heart went to him at that very moment. A, a guy who could have that happen um, and have a, you know, have an absolute sort of record that would have s- probably stayed in the books forever, snatched away from him, and to walk off just smiling, you know, shaking his head, shrugging his shoulders. I was so impressed with him.
0: Yeah, well, we we will see. I mean, there is going to be pressure on Agar, isn't there, Emma, well, in the in the next test match. But you're, you're right; he, he does seem to to brush it off. And I thought it was meeting his parents, as we did on TV as well, you could see where he got it from, because uh, there was a very earnest question asked to his dad about what did you say to him? And, you know, and he just said, go out there and enjoy yourself. And, and he seemed to mean it as well, didn't he?
1: I, I loved that. I, I mean, obviously, we will all remember the footage of his mum jumping up, <laughs> thinking that he'd hit the ball to the boundary. And, uh, and then going and I thought, oh, bless you, my lady, because we've, we've all been there. I think i can 't imagine there's there 's a cricket sport, supporter in the land who hasn 't been sat in one of those seats and jumped up thinking that you 'd just witnessed a fifty or a hundred and then somebody getting out but But what I say about Agar is that um, something that that they kept mentioning was the cut on his spinning finger so as far as I understand we haven 't actually seen him spinning the way that he could yet he was putting a lot of overspin on the ball because um, he, he had this plaster on his finger and he couldn 't get any side spin on. So so presumably, there's more to come from this man.
0: Yeah, the Bats like David Gower, bowls like Derek Underwood. Once he's got his cut healed, he is going to be a, a, a nightmare for England for, for many years to come. He's going to be a, a megastar as well, isn't he? Uh, one of a few calls, actually, that Australia got right, um, Daniel. Uh, Darren Lehman vindicated, do you think, in this Test match, the, the decision to replace Arthur with Lehman. It, it has changed the tone of
2: Australia, and we saw that here, didn't we? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, the players seem to be happier and seem generally happier going about their business, giving interviews than they were before. And uh, Australia played really well. I think I worry slightly for Australia going forward in that if England's batsmen bat better, it's hard, and the bowlers continue bowling well, it's hard to see Australia winning too many test matches because um, I think that in order for them to win a test match, they required England to not play as well as England could play. And um, even if the bowling does improve, it's hard to see where... A lot of runs are coming from if Michael Clark doesn't get them.
0: And uh, SB awkward selection dilemmas. Do you think coming up for Australia? I mean, there's one dilemma for England. Although both the guys think Finn um, will keep his place. What about Ed Cowan? He has to be the one who's under most threat.
3: Yeah, the obvious question is is who's going to bat three? Um, look, I'm, the thing is, like Ed Cowan's now had like 18 consecutive tests, um, which, which is an extended opportunity. Um, which the young guys, um, like Kawaja, Smith, and Hughes, who actually all have high first class averages in Cowan, none of them have been afforded that opportunity. Um, that being said, look, Cowan earned that opportunity through weight of first class runs. He's a good team man and and he's provided a lot of stability to the Australian top order. And he, he was, he was one of the better performers on, on on the tour of India. Um, that being said, he, he's, he's just looked out of sorts. Um, he's not been well, has he? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he was sick for the first couple of days. Um, Like, of those players I mentioned, Cowan's uh, gone the least well in the tour matches. Probably the low point was when he he ran Michael Clark out at Worcestershire, then ran himself out. (laughs) Um, And you'd think, like, Usman Khawaja's been very, very patient. Um, Like, we know he's a protege of Darren Lehman. Khawaja actually moved from New South Wales to Queensland. Um, And Darren Lehman's a big Khawaja supporter. And if you recall, when Khawaja was one of the four um, suspended for one test match in India... Um, Darren Lehman came out and publicly supported Quadra. Um and I think in his last um, tour game Quadra got a, I think a nice 70-80 odd apparently a, a very fluent knock so you think Usman he has got to be knocking on that door pretty hard right now. Who
0: do you think will play? Who do you think will bat at three for Australia in at Lords? kwaja And any other changes that you would see? I mean uh, Mitchell Stark could have played better couldn't he in that uh, opening test match but he'll stay in won't he? Despite there is quite a Strength beneath the bowlers that were picked.
3: Yeah, um, I, I mean, like, like I wrote in like my, my bowlers um, preview for, for all out cricket. Looks Stark's uh, potential is absolutely unlimited, um, but but the, the, the problem is is that. He only took up bowling in his late teens after a growth spurt. Before that, he was a keeper batsman, which is why he's such a good batsman. Um, so effectively, he's only about four or five years old as a bowler, which means he, 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 he does have an unfortunate habit of bowling at least one every four ball, one four ball every over, as I think we all saw. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a problem. But on the other hand, they like him because of the balance he brings. He's a left armour. Um, when he gets it right, he swings it back late, as we saw with the ball which got trot. Uh, He clocks 90 miles an hour and he just offers something different, um, bowling to England's right handers, um, swinging the ball back in late. But in terms of consistency, yeah, like there's an argument for a change. Both, both Bird um, and Harris have greater consistency and control, but then they're both right arm.
0: Yeah, and Stark gives you that uh, that little
1: something extra, doesn't he? Um, also, he sounds like a member of the Hollywood brat pack. I think I think the I think Parkinson Stark a, Agar, Agar, doesn't. Yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> they they sound like they they are you know going to make a film together. I mean, quite a fact. Apart from the fact that you know, Mitchell Stark could also you know turn into Iron Man at any stage. <laughs> one
2: thing. One thing about the Australian attack is their selection collection of wicket faces are much better than England's, who uh, tends to be like fairly restrained. Like Peter Siddle in particular. Um, does Peter Siddle have a
3: wife? He's got a girlfriend. Uh, yeah.
2: uh, Whether g- girlfriend Siddle, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, how she feels about him. Uh, selling out their bedroom secrets, but Peter Siddle's <laughs> wicket face is uh, is particularly exceptional.
1: I, th- I saw Stark getting right up in people's faces as well when he was getting them out. I, he looks he looks extremely aggressive. <laughs> well, Stark's reaction
2: with,
0: with the Trot decision. You know when it, when it went to review and uh, and wasn't overturned and Stark was right in his face, wasn't yeah. he? And that that felt like real old school Ashes cricket, which which I enjoyed. I a great I, deal.
1: I, I found all that thrilling, but also Trot um, uh, Trot um, sweeping at his uh, sweeping with his bat at the stumps when he was out. Um, I don't know if you remember that. Shades but... of
3: Chris Broad, yeah. except yeah, Trot that missed. Was, yeah. That was really exciting. England's first innings. That felt like an eternity go.
0: <laughs> now, just to wrap wrap all of this up, uh, what I want to touch on is. Is that first test, Daniel, as good as it gets? Um, Or are we set for a classic? Or are England just going to run away and and win it 4-0? Geoffrey Boycott said, didn't he, that for the series it would have been better if Australia had won. Um, And he's got a point, hasn't he? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, England are better than Australia at the moment. And so you generally don't want the better side to get ahead. But then, uh, I mean, we thought that in 2005 until uh, Glenn McGrath accidentally trod on the ball uh, or the ball accidentally rolled itself under Glenn McGrath's spikes. and. It is possible. I think when we were talking just before about different kinds of pitches, in, for Australia, I think they want low-scoring games. Generally, that kind of levels levels it a bit, where one good score from one batsman can turn the game in the way that Ian Bell's that, in the way that Ian Bell's did, and the way that you think Michael Clarke might be able to. And so, hopefully, the pitches will continue to be fair, like this one in Trent Bridge was, and then we'll have a really good series. If the pitches are batters' paradises, then I think I think England will probably win, probably. One or two more, and the rest will be drawn. But hopefully, that won't be the case.
3: But well, in, in terms of um, the psychological balance, if we compare it with two thousand and five, arguably um, Australia came out of that first game um, slightly ahead. Because if, if we go back to oh five, even though England lost that first test, um, like you know, the, all those players, um, ha, I mean, particularly Vaughan, ha, ha, have said afterwards quite openly that, that they took a lot of positives out of that. Because as the underdog, playing the better credentialed, more experienced. Um, side if, if, if you push them really close in, in in the first test of a five match series you, you get a little psychological boost from that um, and, and and arguably I think like this Australian side were, were, are, were rated before this series at least by the English press much lower than that England side in 2005 were and we saw like how like psychologically they got such a good boost from that first test defeat in 05 and went on to win a a titanic series
1: i think what we really want to see is the both top orders performing isn't it i mean that's what we we want to we want to make sure that um just like daniel says there's there's some good batting all round um to keep these to keep these matches close and um you know obviously kevin peterson's been quite quiet you know we don't want to see an ashes series without some kevin peterson fireworks and preferably coming out of his bat rather than his mouth
0: yeah interesting that he came and did the um you know, he was one of the nominated players. Apparently, it's the first time he's—I think—in two years that he's come and done those interviews without scoring a hundred.
1: I thought. I think. I think his whole demeanour around the England team is really interesting right mm. now. I, I've. I think there are times in the past I interviewed him. Uh, f- couple of summers ago and it was a classic peterson interview in and he was saying all the right things i.e you know it's not about me it's about the team was he and saying them
0: in the third person he, he was he been.
1: was basically saying them in the third person and, and and you could see both uh from his eyes and also his his general bristling ego that that, that none of this uh <laughs> none of this was true um <laughs> so actually i think it's really interesting that if you really sort of think about when and where have you seen Peterson, um, especially in the build-up um, to this series, you think, well, actually, I haven't, I haven't seen him that much. He he hasn't uh, he on the balcony as well. I, I remember. Um, I think it was when Bell got his century, probably. But he was, he was sort of out there and really applauding, like front and center. I was really impressed with that. It's
0: quite hard to believe. I mean, you just touched on it there, though. He was almost a bit too out front, wasn't he? <laughs> see I mean? well, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit conspiracy theory. To, well, I'm just a bit. To, yeah, well, you say conspiracy theory, but remember what this man? Yeah.
2: No, I, I'm sorry. Did Twelve I, months ago, no, you believed you I, think I totally, he's born into the team ethics? I, I, I totally disagree. I think what Peterson's accused of doing last summer and what he actually did. very different like no one ever he he didn't send texts telling people how to get Andrew telling people how to get Andrew Strauss out that didn't happen he was having issues with the rest of the team who theoretically possibly allegedly were, were bullying him on the internet at the same time There were definitely rivalries within the team you could also argue that Peterson was the only one who was getting bought by the IPL um who um so but so to go back what he didn't do was tell people how to get his captain out that, that I think I can assert is a fact. Whether he got on with the other members of the team is neither here nor there. In that All the great teams that have ever existed have people in them who don't get on. Warren didn't get on with Gilchrist. They found a way to work with both of them in the team because they're both amazing cricketers. Um, so I think that what happened with Peterson and the rest of the team was actually much more fault of management uh, and captaincy than anyone else because they shouldn't have allowed it to get to that. Um, we talk about... we didn't see much from Peterson in this test. His innings on Friday afternoon was crucial. Without it, England didn't win. And that showed like an interesting wrinkle to Peterson. And it reminded me of a, a double hundred he made at Lord's against India, where he was out of form. And he actually, for one of the first times in his career, he really needed the runs. So he denied himself, which sort of shows you that he can bat like that yeah. when he wants to or when he needs to. And I think if Peterson was not English or was playing cricket in another country he would be respected quite a lot more than he is not just he's a supreme talent but he wants to get every last drop out of his talent and in order to do that he has to know how good he is which he does which gets some people's back up he and he practices hard he wants to be the best individual in a team sport and it's actually very similar to Cristiano Ronaldo we also don't like in this country because it's all for him blah 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 but the teams that he plays for seem to do quite well because of his intense commitment to being the best and knowing how good he is and I don't really have a problem with that we don't have to want to go for a pint with all these people but we have to appreciate how brilliant they are because one day Peterson's going to be gone and you're going to be telling your grandchildren that he's the best cricketer you ever saw play for England and while he was doing it you hated him and uh I don't really understand that.
3: Mate, I reckon Peterson's a brilliant player. I think he, his biggest problem um, is, is his colonial honesty um, in, in, in England. Um, Ed, Ed Smith uh, like uh, wrote, I think, a, a column in, in Crick Info a, a while back um, t- telling a, a brilliant story about it, like actually praising Peterson um, f- for his honesty because I think they, they were on an A tour. Um, this is years back going to India. Um, and, and it was a, I think it was a, a one-day game. And typical England back then, they they scored too slowly in the opening overs, and and they got thumped. Um, and Peterson was initially um, pencilled in in the middle order. Peterson went up to Smith, who presumably was the captain of that A team, and, and politely, but, but but very you know honestly, said that look, we lost because we scored too slowly um, in in that first game. How I'll fix it. How about you, you, you promote me to open, and I'll, and I'll sort it out. Um, and I think. In England, that's that's kind of considered being too forward. Whereas, honestly, in Australia, that's considered contributing to the team. I think, presumably, the South Africans are more more, more like us in that respect. And and I think Ed Smith actually um, said that 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 worked brilliantly. KP was promoted to open, and they won the next, and he scored a huge fast ton and England A won that next game. I mean, that, that, that pretty not, much sums up KP.
0: It, I, you know, listen, I respect both your views. It, it does start to sound like that kind of unconvincing interview technique where people say, you know, what's your biggest failing? Oh, sometimes I just work too hard and I care too much. It, do, it does sound a, a little bit uh, too much like that. And also, I mean, we talk about Ed Smith backing someone up, you know, Ed Smith someone who's never fallen out with with teammates or anything <laughs> like that. And the only thing I'd say to you, Dan, I mean, listen, I, I you know, Massively respect, uh, you know, uh, your your passionate defence of Peterson. But he came into the issues last summer with form. It's not as if he's been blameless and never fallen out oh, with anyone so down the all. line. And all, the only this all started from me just saying I was unconvinced by... He was just a little bit too out front when he was applauding. But maybe that's me being cynical. It, it probably is. But tra- there's I, something I, I, about I'm, him. I want to believe him. Yeah, I, it, I, I want to believe him. But there's something that just makes yes. me not quite... Are, are you? Like,
1: well, exactly. Uh, like I said, I've interviewed him a few times. I actually interviewed him when he... Um, <laughs> I interviewed him for Wisdom uh, after that very first, was it, tour of South Africa? And um he had just come back and he still had the skunk hair and the blue earring, I think. And um So and he looked he
0: looked like pretty. Oh pretty cool man, then. you yeah, know, he yeah. was he
1: was amazing and he certainly he certainly kept he certainly kept winking at me out of yeah. the corner of He's his eye He was kind of off
0: the agar scale, <laughs> Yeah. I can see,
1: (laughs) and I think that encounter during which um, he said things like, you know, um, uh, I remember him telling me he was he was going to um, uh, going to pick up a a girl from the uh, from the airport, and he was he was going to pick some flowers up on on the way down. I said, "Oh, is is that is that your girlfriend?" He said. (laughs) He gave me a little wink. He said, "Not yet." (laughs)
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's guilty of being a bit of an idiot, for sure, but who isn't? I mean, we, I mean, there's no one in the world who's not guilty of being a bit of an idiot. He's, uh, but, he's, not, he's not a terrible person. He's a bit of an idiot. He's an amazing cricketer. So I think P- Kevin Peterson is, exists in cricket for us to enjoy him, and it would be foolish of us not to. Just finally, because we haven't talked about him enough, Emma, I know... You have lots to say about the man of
0: the match from the first test match, and I think he was the man of the match, Jimmy Anderson, the outstanding performer. So I'll give you... Thirty seconds to to wax lyrical. If I you will like. try
1: and contain myself, but I think what it comes down to is that James Anderson is, and comparisons are odious, but James Anderson is the David Beckham of cricket. Uh, I say this because not just because he's married to a model and he's extremely handsome, but um, but because he is the one player that everybody else in the world fears. And the funny thing about him being this great cricketer is that uh, is that. Nobody else, the British public have not taken him on. And it's really interesting. I'm sure he's perfectly happy with that, by the way. He has always struck me um, in the times I've met him as a very down to earth and possibly slightly shy man. So he probably loves the fact that he doesn't have, um, you know, the the gossip columns, etc. Following him around when James Anderson does inevitably um, take Ian Botham's uh, leading test wicket taker for England record i don't think people will i think it's one of those records that cricket cricket lovers will know about um but probably when you ask people in the street um who has taken the most test wickets for england they will say ian botham
2: i bet ian botham will and both of them,
0: by the way, to, to both of you. But uh, and I'm sure you'd be reminded of that should you uh, interview him and uh, and make that point in those terms. But listen, uh, thanks very much indeed to, to all of your contributions. I know there was a lot more to say. I think in general we think. It was amazing, and it's going to get uh, even more amazing throughout the course of the summer.
1: It's like the Willy Wonka quote, the suspense is terrible, I hope it lasts.
0: Absolutely. No, that's a, a nice way to finish there. From uh, from Emma John, uh, deputy editor of The Observer magazine, uh, thanks very much indeed to you. To Daniel Harris as well, uh, from The Guardian, and SB Tang as well. Um, not too much of a punch bag, and I hope you come back fighting as well. Yeah, Norris, thanks, Dave. You can all leave your comments uh, on our blog, of course. Get in touch uh, on Twitter. Uh, but we'll be back after the second test, which, of course, can't be anything uh, Anywhere near as good as the first test, but we deep down know that it can be. But that's it from the Guardian Ashes podcast. Thanks to everyone. From me, Dave Farah. Bye bye.